Hello, and welcome to Filmly Matters, a podcast hosted by a married couple of cinephiles, Katie and Josh. This episode, we wanted to cover two films about witches. But first, we wanted to highlight and mention the fact that, um, you know, the amount of time between this first episode and this episode. Um, the program that we were using to record our audio crashed both times that we tried to record it, and so we lost all of those hours of audio. So we're starting over again. Um, so, first up on the docket is my pick for the evening, The Witch, A New England Folktale from 2015. It was uh, directed and written by Robert Eggers. And this was his first feature-length film. So it stars Anya Taylor-Joy, Ralph Ineson, and Kate Dickey. The film centers around a family in 1630s New England, which is made up of the father, William, mother, Kate, eldest daughter, Thomason, who's probably around 15 or 16, the next eldest son, Caleb, who's probably around 12 or 13, and the younger fraternal twins, Jonas and Mercy, who are probably around eight or nine or so. Um, and this family is made up of Puritans, which were a group of folks who started flocking to North America around 1629, and they were motivated by a desire for religious purity and freedom from the Catholic and Anglican churches back in England. And the religiosity of this family, and particularly the zealousness of the father, is a very key and fundamental aspect to this story and for these characters. It influences their entire worldview and how they interpret and cope with the events they deal with and the environment that they find themselves in. And indeed, it's William's complete self-assuredness that he is preaching the correct interpretation of the Gospels and what it means to lead a godly life that brings him into conflict with the leaders of their settlement and causes his entire family to be banished into the woods to make their own way. Interestingly, in the opening scene of this movie, um, where William is arguing his case at the trial, the... um, the camera focuses on Thomason primarily, and I felt like this was uh, a way of establishing her as our main protagonist and the person that the audience was supposed to experience the, the film through. Um, and I found that interesting that even though Thomason is in a male-dominated society and has her whole life path completely upturned by her father's actions that this film is centered I agree because uh, first of all um, you know Thomason is probably what uh, around 14 15 year old young lady mm-hmm. and so um, what you notice in the beginning of the film you can see that um, as they're experiencing this banishment it's being personally uh, experienced through her eyes uh, as you previously mentioned however uh, you can also tell from the beginning uh, with this family leaving the colony she doesn't want to go so you notice right out of the gate uh, you can see that she's terrified 
terrified. She does not want to leave. But also, um, you do find out that in uh, her humble prayer that you see um, that she does have uh, towards the beginning of the film that she doesn't want to leave either. And, you know, she's very nervous about the experience that this family is getting ready to have, um, which I like that that is set up um, by Eggers for you to know right out of the gate that this character's sincere. Um, you know, that that you can see she's she's got a pure heart and there's not a lot of, um, you know, deceit or uh, any kind of... Um, you know, negligence there on her behalf, uh, playing her role in this family. Yeah, and it it seems like this um, this whole family is kind of set up and to be in like a stark contrast to like the witch characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, whereas like witches are more often viewed as people and most often women um, that have like a unique connection to the natural world around them so rather than focusing on godly things like this family does like piety chastity prayer um or all their various sorts of personal denials uh the witches are folks who revel in their natural state and can seemingly alter and influence the world around them um to to bend to their will and their desires and so these creatures are enmeshed in the natural world and so they can be seen as suspicious malevolent and unholy influences and enemies to those who wish to pursue higher and more godly callings like william (laughs) or the rest of the family um in nature like those accused of witchcraft is in opposition to the like theocratic control and domination um that those like the puritans would have sought to exert so it had to be destroyed if it couldn't be controlled and early colonizers um, would have had a very similar view that William expressed to Caleb in the film that they were going to conquer the wilderness. They weren't going to let it conquer them. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> I, uh, yes, I agree with what you said. I think that that is um, a good summary of that. Um, what I like about the film is what you get with the dialogue between the characters. Uh, first of all, um, on that note, I'm going to say this, not only uh, do I love this film for all sorts of different things, but the character development and the acting is phenomenal. You know, everybody in this film just completely knocks their role out of the ballpark. Uh, never once through this two and whatever hour film it is, I don't even know, um, do you ever even feel like you're watching a movie. Uh, you are completely tapped in and you relate to each and every character. Now, with that being said, uh, I do want to say that um, I like the fact that you get fully invested i believe in each character in this movie mm-hmm. and i think you have some empathy with all of them so you know um with you know william i personally feel like that um even in his uh religious dogmatic stage he was sincere because he was doing what uh the bible and what he felt that god's calling is for a man at that time during the 17th century mm-hmm. um also you know same thing with uh thomason she's trying to be obedient she's trying to be um you know a, a good influence um for 
for her her siblings, um, you know, so on and so forth. Same thing with Caleb. Um, he's probably the purest character in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we um, once again uh, getting invested in these characters um, really, I think, gets you a whole lot more set up for you know the SmackDown that comes with it later. Yeah, I'd say probably the only two characters you don't really sympathize with are the twins. Yeah. <laughs> only if you were, I guess only if you've ever been a big sibling before, then I guess you can sympathize. Uh, you don't sympathize with them, but by God, you relate to them. Yeah. Um, having pesty little brothers and sisters. But, um, you know, the, the so many things I love about this movie. Um, it's written beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, it's shot beautifully. And it is so specifically detailed in every single little aspect. You know, it's not, um, you know, it's not one of those period pieces, you know, where you're finding a couple of goofs, you know, here and there mm-hmm. where they've left out, you know, some some detail or, you know, the the actual aesthetic is wrong as far as with the, the setting and cinematography for that particular era. I mean, as far as... Uh, for directing went on this film i think it was absolutely phenomenal as to how um detailed just everything on the set and stage was and i think eggers used to be what was it like a creative or art director or something to that effect i think he i think he served in that role on some other projects so um i think the attention to detail uh, comes through on this project um, and I, I would echo what you said that like he even had a builder come in from New England to build the the house and the structures in a very specific kind of way that would have been period accurate and they had to commission that guy um, because nobody in Canada could do it oh, wow. <laughs> right away <laughs> um, and like even the costumes and the the coloring, it it feels very uh, sparse and bleak, just like their their lives would have been back mm-hmm. then. So, um, and I would say like one of the one of the primary um, focuses and primary uh, features of the film, I suppose, would would be the the subject of fear mm-hmm. fear seems to be um the major motivator for these characters um they fear the wilderness they fear god they fear hell and then they um they come to fear each other along with the the unseen forces that are around them that are causing them so much trauma and suffering and i think this is set off to dramatic effect with the abduction of the newest and youngest addition to their family um the infant samuel and he was born sometime after the family had established a new homestead. Um, Thomason had been given him to kind of watch for a little while while his while Kate was, I think, maybe fussing with the twins or something, and and she's playing peekaboo with him. And then the second that it takes her to cover her eyes and uncover them, the baby's been snatched and run off with into the woods, mm-hmm. with nary a trace to be seen. Um, so you you definitely get the sense that this is like a supernatural kind of event. It's not right. it's not just some random person who wandered onto the homestead. Um, 
And then we see the witch um, hold a knife over the child, and then we see her creating some kind of an ointment out of his blood that she smears all over her body. Um, so while we don't see her massacring the child, we do. it's still really graphic in that mm-hmm. you see the, the aftermath. Um, so yes, so that's that's another reason um, you know this this film just goes for the gusto. I think mm-hmm. um, eight minutes into the movie, um, you have a witch bathing in an unbaptized baby's blood. So I mean, you know, I think that's a pretty good indication that you know this is not going to be your typical horror movie, which I love. Um, you know. One of my biggest problems with this film, and it's a problem with people, not with the film itself. Mm-hmm. So many people that I talked to that actually saw this movie uh, did not like it, mm-hmm. and they uh, the response that I got from several people was uh, that it was boring, that it was moving too slow, you know, the, this, that, and the other. Uh, well, you know, I mean, I think that that just goes uh, with society number one, uh, because we feel. Like like that uh, we have to be entertained 24 Mm -hmm. 7 I think one of the key elements to a good horror film is the uh, is having to uh, not only build with the suspense of what happens because I mean if if the scary stuff just happens right away and then it sets it up and happens so easily for you I mean to me that's no fun you've got to kind of think you know through some of this and use your own imagination to get scared a little bit Uh, you know you don't want somebody else to do all the work for you and then also the other thing that that really bothered me that most people had with this was they thought that it wasn't scary enough Mm -hmm. well I mean if you say that um, I mean for your each person's own preferences that's one thing but i mean the movie is absolutely terrifying you mm-hmm. just have to be invested in it you know um i think that if you're just looking for uh you know another freddy or jason or any of those where you know you're just going to get a lot of gore and um you know some cheap sex and some uh you know a lot of filthy language and murder and then you don't have to think about anything and this is definitely not your horror movie yeah i think um what a lot of people in modern horror audiences consider quote-unquote scary to me it reads more as just like being startled Mm -hmm. um and to me jump scares might startle you and get your heart racing for a hot minute but to me that's not like really scary no like i don't I don't feel terrified or personally threatened in any way just by repeated jump scares. (laughs) Right. I think it sounds like, um, you know, what most people are looking for in horror movies are, um, you know, the experience of uh, the haunted house at the fair. And -hmm. I think the two films that we've chosen uh, for this podcast that we're talking about that are absolutely both brilliant pieces, I think it's, I look at it more as like the haunted house that you're living in that you're never going to be able to sell and get rid of Mm -hmm. that terrifies you. You know, I think that um, 
it's not just um, you know cheap thrills that we're dealing with. I think that this um, this movie is just great on so many different levels. Yeah, and I think that kind of plays in with the like secondary title to the movie, which is a New England folk tale. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not just like a your typical cookie cutter formulaic scary movie. It's it has such a rich layering of content um, and it pulls from a really rich source of folklore to inform right. um, what happens in the in the movie um, so um, much like the witches in the literature of that time these witches are also harbingers of evil mm-hmm. and are meant to be feared um, and then Picking up back with um, talking about fear um, and mistrust in the family, I picked up on like with Kate's character um, and her relationship to Thomas, and that there was a lot of resentment and anger and frustration on her part uh, from Kate because she seems to be um, pretty sensitive and a bit jealous of how close Thomason is with her father. And um, she doesn't seem to be able to see just how much Thomason really loves her and desperately wants her approval and affection. And I think that is in addition to her having a lot of frustration and resentment about moving to America and then being kicked out into a quote-unquote godforsaken wilderness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I sensed a lot of anger and blame from her to... um, directed toward Thomason for Samuel's disappearance. I think that she definitely blamed her for that. And um, and as such, that she's really quick to blame Thomason for every single negative thing that happens, like when her silver cup goes missing or when the twins misbehave, it's Thomason's fault. Um, and then all these pent-up emotions uh, seem to play a really key role in why she believes so easily um the twins whenever they start accusing Thomason of witchcraft later on. Mm-hmm. And so I think all of those family relationships are really important to moving the, the plot along with the movie. Um, and I think those dynamics are, are really key um, to the film. Um, and so the family's troubles... Um, they, they follow a formula that would have been really familiar to those in this era as, like, being signs of witching. And that's exactly how they start to interpret them as the film progresses. Um, because there's no such thing as luck for a Puritan family. I think that's, that's important um, to consider because something would be either a divine blessing, a curse, or a retribution from God. Mm-hmm. Things don't just happen. Um, there's a reason behind everything. So, like, they're continually failing crops. Um, that weird unfertilized egg. Or the... Yeah, it was unfertilized because I think they just had chickens. And yet somehow there was still a fetus in there. Um, the milk that got turned to blood. The illness. The death. Um, they're all taken as signs of corruption. And William and Kate become increasingly convinced that one of their own is responsible for all their misfortune. And so this ramping up of paranoia um, coincides with the film ramping up to its bloody and fiery conclusion. Um, But of course we would be remiss if we didn't mention the king of the film and the king of Landon C. Black Phillip. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the family's very large black billy goat um, seems to be the twins' bestie, and he's a creature whom they claim to be in constant conversation with. He's a confidant and fellow Hellraiser. And in the end, the, the twins are more honest about Black Phillips' identity than they are about anything else in their film, or anything else in the film. Um, but their relationship with him does them no favors. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add about Black Phillip? Or? Um, I think that um, that's just, um, I think that's another part of, uh, you know, um, a good part of the suspense of the film Mm -hmm. is because, you know, um, playing back on um, those who do enjoy, um, you know, uh, the folk tales, um, especially of um, the old uh, witch trials and, um, you know, uh, anyone who is uh, fans of Muller's The Crucible, um, you know, uh, looking at uh, with the situation of Black Phillip, you don't know if it's real or you don't know if the kids are just making it up or, you know, I, so I think that's another part of it being uh, interesting storytelling because you don't know um, in the beginning just working through, you know, how, you know, what's real and what's not. So, yeah, it, it's interesting because like so much of the of the film is depicted um, as very like realistic and to the and true to the time period that it's set in. Uh, but you have all these kind of supernatural elements that are part of it too, and I think that ties in with the with the folktale element, which I really like. I think it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um. So, um, did you have any other remarks you wanted to make about the movie? Before we make our ratings or anything? Oh, well, um, you know, I just, um, I think that it's really uh, interesting the way that it plays through. I think, um, I think that um, in the end, um, I think that um, it's just really, um, I think it's set up great because the the film builds and builds to the end and then um i think how it ends is exactly how it was intended to happen the whole time mm-hmm. um my personal thoughts were uh through seeing this is that um you know the ultimately um you know the devil always wanted thomason Mm-hmm. And I think that that plays off of, in the beginning, uh, as we mentioned, seeing how sincere, how sincere, excuse me, Thomason was, and um, seeing how pure-hearted she is, and that there was no, um, you know, that there was not a lot of um, hatred or, you know, um, um, you malice. Know, malice, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, or, you know, any of the Maleficent, whatever. Um, none of that stuff. And so I think that the devil always wanted her. And then I think through the conjuring of the witches um, and just playing on um, every single perfect role possible, um, he was able to actually... Um, he was able to actually um, succeed in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that in the end, I think that it, it was set up perfectly because, um, you know, if you look at um, 
he had taken away at that point everything else that she had. Mm-hmm. So in the end, um, whenever uh, she makes that final decision, um, I think that um, she had nowhere else to go. You right. know, um, the family is all gone. Um, if she went back to the colony, it would be one of two things. She would either be tried as a witch um, or she would be, um, you know, sentenced uh, to murder. Right. And then so she had absolutely nowhere else to turn. She wasn't going to be able to survive out in the wilderness on her own. Um, She couldn't travel to find new colony or new land. She'd never make it. So, I mean, I think that um, it was a perfect setup. Um, And then, you know, for her ultimate uh, decision to sign, you know, the devil's book and sign away her soul um that was absolutely perfect setup because you know um here was the offering of you know what do you want you know tell me what you want and then you know i can make it happen and uh with that i think that that um completely played into um the the um staunch biblical side of the film because mm-hmm. um, um oh you've got to you've got to quote one of my favorite lines from the film um when black philip comes in human form wouldst thou like to live deliciously yes <laughs> i love it i love it so you know that the exact words you know from the devil himself you know what what can i offer you uh to get you to sign my book and um that just plays so perfectly into um you know the dogma of the film um, and if you look at um, the eighth chapter of John in vo- verse 44, you know, that's the, the verse that talks about, um, you know, the devil is a liar. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy um, the master of deception. And then, I mean, that just plays perfectly into that. It's, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you want, I'm going to give it to you. You know, you're going to live, you know, deliciously. You know, um, there was a reference made to um, what fine clothing and butter even um, traveling the world yeah exactly yeah. which you know is all a bunch of lies and it's never going to happen I mean you know you're the girl will be lucky you know if she ever gets out of those woods but whatever it takes to sign that book you know and um, you know growing up in an evangelical um, household and um church setting you know it was always referred to as um you know making big decisions like that um that would um cost your soul you know in the end was always referred to as you know the high cost of low living and then you know that's what i see in this you know um particularly is you know you hit rock bottom you don't have anywhere else to go um somebody's gonna swoop in there and say well you know i can take care of you you know i can give you everything you need um and i think that plays perfectly into um addiction you know um that's why do you know why do women go to pimps and you know rather than you know to um halfway houses or things like that you know why do people uh, go into hard substance abuse drugs why do you know when you have nowhere else to turn um 
you know, there can be a lot of, a lot of, um, falsehoods offered through, through other things. So I think that the, the devil did an excellent job, um, of playing up to this, you know, role that, um, stereotype that there's always been. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's like, she has a certain level of freedom in the sense that, um, she's basically broken free from the patriarchy that right. that she was the raised in and from the colony and stuff but she's now kind of like fallen in under the rule now of satan right <laughs> so it's like you go from one master to a different one um but yeah i would be curious to know if like in this universe if if black philip can de- deliver on any of his promises um because if he can take the form of a goat, what's to say he can't like take the f- and and take the form of a man? What's to say he can't, you know, whisk uh, Thomason away <laughs> and mm-hmm. take her on the road with him? You know? Yeah. You just don't know. I don't know. I just I I just I think if you're gonna you know lean towards that then i think uh black phillips just got some swamp land in florida that he's gonna sell you to once you <laughs> sign his book so that's kind of what i got from that but um one last note i will say that i think um in the end whenever thompson makes her decision and she joins her other little coven of witches and uh, they all ascend in the mm-hmm. in the final uh, climactic scene of the movie mm-hmm. um i did think that it was interesting because with thomason uh once the ascension starts i counted seven witches mm-hmm. so um back to that magical number that means so many different things Com- um completion perfection mm-hmm. it's a holy number yeah so um the number seven is yet another little bit of our uh, physical and spiritual so allegedly angels have seven figures seven fingers oh i was gonna say figures huh? yeah. seven fingers okay <laughs> well i like that i also find it interesting that like the the film both begins and ends on thomason's face and expression exactly nice little book ends there yes not by and you know and it comes full circle you know mm-hmm. because the the first face is um fear Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, God-fearing, family-fearing, you know, um, and submissive. Mm-hmm. And then the last is, you know, um, sold your soul to the devil, um, footloose and fancy-free. And she's Yes, and she's just in immersed in joy. So, you know... Um, She's having a damn good time. Yeah. yeah. So I love this movie. Love, 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 love the acting. Love the writing. Love the directing. Love the sets, the costumes. Um, a lot of good scares in this as well. So um, my uh, my personal opinion, um, four and a half out of five stars. I think this movie is fantastic. I could watch it a hundred times and find something new every time. So that's my my take on the witch yeah um 
I've, I've been a, a lifelong fan of all things witchy like my entire life and i loved all the little references uh, to the different kinds of source material that eggers pulled from and that really spoke to my to my nerdy little heart um and and I, I would echo some of your sentiments too that I thought that the acting was superb I thought that the set design was really immersive and detailed um, and I thought that the costuming choices were really immaculate um, I couldn't I couldn't find any fault with this movie um, personally and um, you know as, as we talked about like I think that for those who critiqued it for being slow or unscary just um, may not be able to distinguish between being uh, startled or being truly frightened for their immortal soul. Um, but of course, I will concede that not everyone gets scared or made uneasy by the like supernatural or spiritual source of content, but I certainly do. <laughs> and uh, so for me, this is a five out of five movie for me. All right. <laughs> so my witch film uh, is more of a sneaky witch movie. Uh, the selection that i made was the 2018 horror movie hereditary written and directed by ari oster and it stars tony collette this movie uh to me is not your typical commercialized horror movie in the sense of uh it uh, builds off of a story much like the witch and there's not a whole lot of jump scares there's not a whole lot of um you know really um necessarily um horror type um film moments in the movie but it is wild um this is definitely definitely one of those movies uh that represents a great film in the sense of uh you know two or three days after you watch it you're still thinking about it there's uh, a couple different scenes in the movie that'll just stick out with you forever um it's amazing uh band of cast uh that come together um tony collette millie shapiro um, those performances are all stellar. The film is uh, written very, very well. And um, whenever you get to, um, there's some good scares throughout the movie, but um, I want to say the last 15 minutes of the film will absolutely blow your mind. So um, to me, this was just a great movie all around. So the film follows the Graham family. Uh, the central character is Annie, uh, who is an artist. And then she has her two children, uh, Peter and... <clears throat> excuse me charlie who is a young lady and then uh her husband is uh, steve so the matriarch of the family annie's mother has died and we see that she was a very private person we do not know a whole lot about her uh, so the film starts with uh, the opening sequence of her death and then at her funeral uh, her daughter Annie uh, gives a eulogy and it's kind of odd and then that tells you right away that this family was not close in any way um, there were some individuals there that she did not know um, so which further leads her to think that um you know her mother had more of a secret life that she didn't really know a whole lot about 
And then, um, so after the mother has died, then uh, this family who tries to move on with their life uh, seems to start to go through uh, one instance of tragedy after another. Um, The more that the film unfolds, the more that you see everything comes back around together full throttle. Um, But it's very, very hard to understand. This is one of those films that you can watch 30 different times and find 30 different new things every single time so uh, it can be very complicated it's also one that um, you know if you're going to take a restroom break or anything like that you're going to have to pause it because a lot goes on (laughs) during this so yeah it's definitely a film that's filled like filled with tiny little details and there's multiple layers of symbolism and i think that that um i think those are some characteristics that are shared with um annie's miniature works of art too yes they're highly detailed and filled with all different kinds of symbolism from her life um and uh she reveals a lot of important personal information um about her mother and her family and the grief support group. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that talking about things that you notice and details in the movie, I think that's one of the most important scenes to pay attention to because she that's where you learn a lot more about her family background and that's how you learn about how she was raised and a little bit more about her mother um, and their, fi- their family dynamics. Um, So, like, she says that her mother had DID, or a Dissociative Identity Disorder, otherwise known as Multiple Personalities, which is a highly contentious diagnosis, Um, and that she says that her father starved himself to death, which is unusual, Um, and then she says that her brother had schizophrenia and eventually hung himself, but he left a note that accused their mother of trying to put people inside him. And this is what we call foreshadowing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and didn't the father have dementia as well? Um, possibly. I think there was. I think there was some mention of, of him not being right either yeah. before. So with left. all these different things, um, we see that um, one thing uh, leads to another, and then uh, on Annie's discovery more after the death of her mother, uh, trying to uh, dig a little bit deeper into who her mother really was uh some very very disturbing things start to unravel and uh more and more disturbing things start to happen to the family itself so um without giving much of the film away um i just think that there are several instances in this movie um that um is this film goes very very deep um and that's one thing that i really really like about it i think that um one word that just keeps coming to my mind whenever i think about this film and uh, one of the reasons why i chose it is just uh because it is so visceral this is what i'd like to say i mean it just absolutely reaches down into your guts and forces you to go to a place where you don't want 
want to go. And I think you see that in so many instances in this film um, because um, there's some really, really heavy stuff that goes on, um, heavy conversations. There's grief. There's loss. uh, There's talking about grief and emotions and death. Um, You get into... Uh, there's decapitation, there's grave exhumation, there is, um, you know, people being burned alive. I mean, this movie is downright gritty and um, extremely, extremely terrifying. Um, and uh, also, but at the same time, uh, much like The Witch, you're not going to get a lot of jump scares. It's not necessarily your typical horror horror film uh it is more or less um it is a horror movie but it is um one that you're going to have to work for and stick with uh in order to be able to get something out of it and once again um it's very very hard to try to describe and just hit the high points without giving the film away but i recommend um if you haven't saw this movie you need to watch it and then you need to watch it twice because you're going to the first time is just going to really be a blur and then the next time it's going to make a little bit more sense and and i would advise not doing a whole lot of research before you watch the movie the first time because i think it it, it's really an experience unto itself walking into the film blind and i realized that it's been a couple years since it came out so it's possible that you've probably had several things spoiled for you by now but i would say the i had only seen like i think maybe one or two previews of the movie and i will give credit to whoever created the previews because unlike a lot of movie previews it didn't give anything away it basically just communicated this is a family who just lost their grandmother and you assume that there's like some really weird supernatural stuff that is happening around the grandmother's life as this family is processing this loss and then you walk into the movie and it starts out that way and then it takes a really hard turn and you're left going what the hell just happened (laughs) and it's um I, I will echo what you said that it's a very visceral film. It's a very physical film. Uh-huh. Um, there's a lot of, of it, and it, it, you feel that physicality. Right. Like it, it just feels deeply unsettling to you in right. just a myriad of ways. And, um, <clears throat> and, and to, to me, I, f- I found Annie like to be one of the most interesting characters of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really fascinated in like paying attention and picking up on um, a lot of her story and a lot of her uh, motivation tying into that like physical nature of the movie like Annie's artwork is really physical right. um, and it seems to be a way for her to like process her life's traumas and like as a means of coping with her situations that she's not had much control over um and you know constructing miniatures like that with that level of detail requires such a tremendous amount of control over her own body and the materials and also a lot of patience and attention to detail and so um it seems like she can focus on her traumas and emotions 
that way without having to grapple with them directly. And I also find like an interesting contrast in the amount of control that she has and exerts over these miniatures, but she doesn't seem to have as much control over like her own emotions and and psychology. Because it seems like there's a lot of layered experiences that she has buried Mm -hmm. um, that come out in ways that she doesn't have control over. Right. Um, Well, and, you know, in all, um, if you research in all um, mental health and then um, um, psychological aspects, you'll notice that um, in life, people who are the biggest control freaks are usually those who have no control over their own personal life and have a fear of grappling with, you know, certain issues that they're harboring on themselves. Um, And then also one other thing that struck out to me that you'll also notice in research um, with people who have uh, issues of control is that um, typically people who get into um, things like miniatures, dollhouses, paper dolls, uh, all of those little things, um, the little miniature Civil War sets, um, all of those things um, are people who do not have a sense of control in their own lives they like to have something like that that they can build and add to and take away from and completely um, micromanage Uh, but whereas that is um, actually something from within that is uh, getting out that feeling of control that you have absolutely nothing um uh, that you're practicing of in your own personal life. So it's interesting to me. And, and, and I think that's kind of tied to um, her seeming inability to like openly communicate with those closest to her mm-hmm. is because she probably realizes on some level that she lacks a lot of that emotional control um, because like she doesn't seem to have many issues being open with strangers um, and being vulnerable with strangers uh, emotionally like she is at the support group but she like completely shuts out her family until she gets to the point of exploding and that's at the point whenever she actually um, you know communicates with her family is whenever she starts yelling <laughs> and um, and then you know through her artwork is the other place that she feels comfortable um, being vulnerable and I mean given the, the the really turbulent nature of of her own childhood and that she didn't have any attachment figures that she felt could be trusted or relied upon i can understand why this would be the case All right because she she has a hard time trusting others i think and so i find that that's also an interesting way that she's exerting power um over her own memories and um she she's kind of engaging in this act of piecing herself together and I think um that that's kind of echoed in what Charlie does with her doll making and her drawings um in that she has a real fascination it seems like with putting disparate random pieces of other stuff and putting them together and making these little dolls and figurines and it kind of made me wonder if she was doing that um and trying to put herself together too but like in a subconscious way uh, like a subconscious search for wholeness because she feels fragmented um and that maybe even her nut allergy was a symptom of her not being quite right 
because of information we find out later. <laughs> and it just made me wonder if, um, like the, the fascination with the pigeon head might have something, might be some kind of reference to, um, a, a demon that we get introduced to later called Payman. Mm. And that perhaps, you know, cause pigeon and Payman sound kind of similar. So may, what if it was like somebody, like you hear someone misspeak and you just, mm. you know, that's just a thought that I had. I have no idea if that's anything that the filmmaker. <laughs> well, one other thought process on that too is um, the different things that happen with Charlie in the film, mm-hmm. um, in particular with the pigeon and those different things, even as much as the tongue clicking and that, mm-hmm. that those were already manifestations um, of payment mm-hmm. um, beforehand. Yeah. So, um, so there's two completely different ways to look at that, um, because you know one side is yeah that's leading up towards, um, you know all of those different things can be more of um, an inner psychological you know output um, or other. Um, the other thing is, you know, that that's already manifestations of payment showing up um, with more given, you know, the viewer more foreshadowing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like I feel like the Charlie character um, has some awareness of payment. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of conflict, internal conflict like that. Yeah. Um. And, and two, like with the, with the pigeon head, I think that it's just kind of one of many, many, many head references. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things to build off of from that references that keep, keep resurfacing. And I think this is like maybe the third or fourth time I think I've rewatched it. And it was the first time I noticed that um, when Peter goes to his high school party, that um, when he walks into the bedroom with where the other stoner kids are, they're watching this old black and white movie on a laptop. And the one scene that you see from the movie is of a guillotine blade falling. And it's like more foreshadowing. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, um, I had a great opportunity um, experiencing this film because I didn't know anything about it. I never saw a trailer, never heard anything about it, um, did not have a clue. I didn't even know it was a horror movie. So um, I just knew nothing and then watched it and then boy was I surprised so um, that was a great thing so I had a really 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 good experience with that Um, I will say that um, the movie does a really good job of um, bringing you in and then uh, keeping you with it the whole time if anybody gets bored with this um, and doesn't stick with it, then you know, um, once again, it's, you know, you're not going to get a lot of cheap thrills out of this movie. You're going to have to wait for it. But um, once you get, um, once you get into it, get it going, um, you're not going to be able to walk away from it. So I think it's a fantastic, fantastic movie. Um, 
as I mentioned, the the last 15, 20 minutes, um, it's going to blow your mind. There's several different things in the film that are just going to uh, creep up on you and then stick with you long after you watch the movie. Um, but overall, I think that it's fantastic. The performances are out of this world. Um, one thing that I uh, that really sticks out in my mind is I think overall, um, I think that this film uh, represents mental illness altogether in a sense. I think that that's a lot of what the movie is about. Um, it is that because, um, you know, we get into uh, multiple personality disorders. Uh, dementia, schizophrenia. Um, we see that uh, Annie herself has a lot of um, mental illness that she's dealing with as far as, you know, um, she's doing the best she can, but we know, um, you know, there was some sleepwalking. There was, some, you know, um, uh, other types of hysteria, I guess, that she had experienced previously that you get into. So uh, with all of that, um, you know, I think that that is a lot of um, the American horror story type um, situation, if you will, um, is mental illness. And I think in a lot of sense, that's kind of some of this demonic force that we see just kind of put in a closet and never talked about in society. So I think that that um, there's a lot of correlation there. And I think there's like the horror of the family right? too. And I think you see that in, in both of these films in that, um, you know, the, the breakdown of the family, the like lack of communication between family members, um, not being open with one another and you know, how that breakdown leads to, um, Really horrifying conclusions. <laughs> right. You know, one thing that jumped out of my mind, um, for three years, um, I did um, grief support groups. And um, with that, um, and only people who actually are involved in those know um, how it actually is. But um, I remember always just um, we'd have the grief support group sessions and they would always last two to two and a half hours. And I remember um, always just wanting to leave or once I left, I remember wanting to come home and go straight to bed um, because it was just exhausting. Uh, mentally uh, and physically exhausting altogether um, whenever you have to sit and share and then listen to other people share and um, it, you know it's not a deal out of boredom it's just a deal out of such heavy discussion and such heavy topics and you're dealing with the actual you know getting down to the bare bones of grief and bereavement and it was always just it would just take everything out of you because it was so raw um and i think that this movie captures that perfectly not only just in the grief support group but then um you know whenever you hear annie talk about her mother and then when you hear her talk about charlie and then you see kind of um firsthand her reaction and then you know there's the family dinner scene later you know where everybody starts letting their emotions out that 
uh, to me was just reliving grief support group because I mean it just absolutely takes you down to you know the lowest point on the ground where you just you know could just roll over and die and that you'd be content with that just because it takes literally everything out of you that you have. And this film does that. So, um, on so many different levels, I think it, it does a good job of highlighting that grief work is work and that work can be very exhausting. And you kind of feel that the weight of that processing and that experience of this family when you're watching it so it's not just a film about grief it's not just a psychological film it is actually a horror movie and um like i said if a lot of people um would hear me say that this was my choice for a witch movie they uh, a lot of people would think well that's not a witch movie at all um no i mean you don't you don't really pick up on that until the last 30 minutes of the film but that's great that's what makes it a good deal it's a sneaky witch movie so so personally i think this film was completely underrated i think that um you know there were um a lot of people have never heard of it a lot of people didn't see it or they didn't like it um but i think that it was uh it's completely a work of art i think that it is a fantastic movie um and i give it four out of five stars i think the acting is spot on the writing everything is just really 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 good with this movie um and then um Ari Aster um, comes back full throttle um, a year later with his next great film that we'll talk about in um, later episodes. Um, But I just want to say that I was really, really, really impressed with Hereditary. Um, (laughs) This this film just has so many different layers and um, it's... It's a fascinating film to watch, and it's so well acted, um, as we've said. Um, I still think Tony Collette got cheated out of an Oscar, or at least, a, at the very least, an Oscar nomination um, for the, the scream of all screams, if nothing else. Um, I, I just, I, f- I find it just such... A, a poignant and fascinating film to watch and uh it was deeply unsettling it was horrifying um <laughs> it was shocking um it was all the things that i love in a good horror movie and of course i love any movie that has supernatural elements or demonic elements or witch elements and it has all of those things um so for me i would i would also give it well i would i would give it like a four and a half out of five mm-hmm. um i just love this movie yeah, me too i think i think we did good i think on these two mm-hmm. two films i think we picked some very very um non uh some very non-pretentious true work of art horror movies so Mm -hmm. i think um i think that um any true film lovers that you know are really going to enjoy these two movies so Mm -hmm. yes so what are we going to talk about the next episode 
We are going to look at two different um, Coen Brothers movies. Coen Brothers, okay. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I, I reckon I'll see you between yeah. now and then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, only if we have to. <laughs> so, in, in, until next week. Until next week. Bye. If you liked what you heard just now, be sure to follow us on our social media on Instagram at Filmly Matters and check out our website at filmlymatters.com where you can stream episodes of the podcast and check out uh, long form film critiques and essays that we'll be posting in the future. And don't forget to hit subscribe and like. And if you have an opinion or want to offer us some feedback, you can always send us an email at filmlymatters at gmail.com. We'll see you later. Bye.